Listening to Food Chain, presented by Perfy. A big thank you to this episode's sponsor, Triple Whale. Triple Whale's powerful analytics platform clarifies your ad performance across channels, keeping you instantly in the know. Hit the link in the show notes and use promo code Perfy for 15% off today. Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of Food Chain, presented by Perfy. Today we have Matt Cotton, founder and CEO of Rooted Food Sales with us. Matt, welcome to the show. Thank you very much for having me. I'm very pumped to chat food service. It's a channel that I have probably the least experience with, but it's very exciting to chat about how it interacts with other sales channels across the board. But before we get into all of that, can you tell us a little bit more about yourself and how you got to where you're at today? For sure. So I live north of Boston. I have been in food service sales, in the food service sales world for about eight years now. So I I was director of food service for two emerging brands and a bigger $70 million conventional company in between. Always been most kind of jazzed up about the emerging better for you brand. So the two emerging brands that I worked for, they were doing well in retail, literally not a penny into food service, which is why I was hired and came in doing the, which we could get into, the inevitable chicken and egg game and just getting big end users excited who could force distribution and grow in an awesome food service business from there. And then honestly, part of my drive to start Rooted Food Sales, which is uh, my company that I've had for two and a half years now, was right said with respect, but it's just true. Food service is a very old school industry. And I probably hired and managed like 15 to 20 different brokers over my years. And it was the same thing every time, right? Like good people, but just like old school, never came across the pop or proactive salesmanship, which the emerging brand needs. So I got fired up to do it myself. So in the very, very comical and very not comical timing of early March 2020, I started Rooted Food Sales and then the world shut down. But despite the timing, we are cranking as an organization. We There are seven of us. We now have national coverage. We're representing truly some of the best in class brands out there. So yeah, that's my path in a nutshell and what we're up to uh, in Rooted, in our Rooted world. Amazing. I want to zoom into one of the comments you made about emerging brands and the need for for brokers that are a little bit new school, a little more reliable. Why is it that, I mean, you don't have to comment on this, but for everyone I talk to, I feel like brokers kind of have a, a reputation in the industry. Why do you think that is? Yes, I would love to comment on that. <laughs> And I can speak more about food service brokers than retail, although I'm sure it's very similar. I have found in my experience that the typical broker rep, for whatever reason, it's more of an account, a spirit of like account manager and not proactive seller. Also, you know, most brokers run so heavy with brands. So there's just, there's just hundreds in in many cases of brands to represent. And the brokers, it's not in the company culture to, or in the DNA to actually proactively sell and get sales in motion. It's more just manage the business. And that works for some of their bigger brands who just need management. So for us, and you know why I think a lot of brokers get a bad rap for emerging brands is because emerging brands, right? There's nowhere nowhere to hide. There's no or very little management. You know, for us, we're taking on brands 
who have little to no distribution. So there's no management. We need to be scrappy and gritty and hunt and sell. And that's what we signed up for. And that's what we do. Does that answer your question? Yeah, I want to zoom in even more now. You, you mentioned you know account manager versus seller, sometimes too many clients, more, more often than not too many clients. And when brokers don't have the, the same energy that an emerging brand does, an emerging brand has finite resources in terms of specifically dollars. And oftentimes, more often than not, brokers have a fixed cost, which is their retainer to quote unquote, you know, recoup their cost of their time. Mm -hmm. Why do you think that there's a, a comfort level to receive a retainer and maybe put in not as much time to get to that point where they're just taking commission? Oftentimes, broker models and paid media models are kind of the same. I've, I've worked with both. Paid media, you're you know, two and a half grand, three grand, whatever it may be. And whenever it, the ad spend gets above X amount, it's 10%. And when that, when that surpasses the retainer, then it's just the 10% of ad spend. And brokers have a similar deal. But for me, scaling on paid media, you're, it's a lot easier to get only to that 10% of ad spend than it is in grocery, food service, retail, whatever it may be. Why do you think there's a retainer model in place and not just a commission model? I feel as though a commission model is performance-based. You get the sale, you, you manage that account, and then your, your pay starts coming in. Why are so many doing the retainer? Totally. These are fun questions that are right in my wheelhouse that I get excited to discuss. So we charge a retainer until the percentage of sales is higher. And it literally needs to be that way. So for and I can speak about other organizations as well, some guessing there. So for us, we have such like literally have a best in class sales team. We have our our, our routines and our practices in place. But honestly, part of the, the secret sauce of why we do well is the limited amount of brands we represent in an actual boutique model. And, you know, especially as we are doing more pioneering, you know, as good as we are and as, as much of a rush as we are in to, to, to start selling in as much volume and quantity as possible, there is an inescapable sales process. So we need to be compensated out of the gate. Otherwise, if it was straight commission, honestly, like the checks wouldn't, even if things were going well, we wouldn't be paid a, a real paycheck for like a year plus in. And it, it just wouldn't, literally rooted, wouldn't be around if that was the model. So for me, I'm, I'm and I was the director of food service sales who got burnt many times by retainers and it's painful. Um, so that exists. And then there's real companies like us who charge a retainer for the right reasons, because that's that's how we can operate and that's how we can stay at a boutique model. I think there's an argument to be had, though. Like, I get it. There's certain places where it does make sense. You know, you're like, in, to me, it seems as though like an outsourced sales team for yes. food service. And I get that. I vibe with it. I'm an outsourced marketing team on my agency side. I've got a social media marketing agency that actually helped fund my, my business now. And we have to have something where we're covering payroll. We don't have like the upside like commissions if we hit certain amount or if the brand hits certain amount. In the past, we've been offered that. We, we haven't really taken that up. But I found for me with my beverage company that after a few months, I pulled away from retainer models and went strictly into commission models with brokers. And I've got two people in particular that were that model. Like, hey, we're just commission only. Once we once it hits, that's when we start getting paid. And you know, I've started figuring out some things there. But those people to me so far have been the hungriest 
to get those sales done. It's like it's their sales process is expedited. They know people to make it make things get done faster. Got a guy who landed who landed Shoprite, and it was like there was a delay because there were some things internally that they had to, to work through, but it was done like like the snap of a finger. I've got a guy that was inside sales at Quest Nutrition where I started my marketing career and I engaged him. I was like, dude, we haven't worked together in forever. Do you want to do some inside sales for Perfy? And he's just knocking down doors and it's yeah. just commission-based. As a startup, like a merging brand, how, how does how do people that are in my shoes find the folks that are commission only? Um, because at, the, at some point you have to have, you have to mind the PL, you have limited dollars. Yeah. And how do you just even find those people? Is there a place to find them? What's your advice there? Totally. Yeah. So first off, I'd say as well, right? It's different if you're a retail broker, like a, a wholesale law broker, airline broker versus food service broker. And right, e- each specific industry channel within an industry has its pros and cons. But I'll say, and I'm, I'm not trying to be defensive here about food service in our model, but like with retail, it's it's different in a way because you can, yeah, and does food service have its home runs? Of course it does. But retail, I'm not saying it's easy, but you can kind of pay your slotting fee and get into your, you know, larger opportunities where all of a sudden you're doing really good volume out of the gate. So if I was instantly, I would still charge a retainer. But if we were a retail broker, it would just be a different thought process. It's like, all right, we're zoned in with Publix. Like we get these guys into Publix. We're making huge money out of the gate. Food service, it's a way more fruitful, healthy channel because slotting fees don't really exist. There's no funny money as there is with many distributors. It's clean business. And it's more fragmented and it's a slower entry into the space. So whatever that's worth. And then how do you find those people? Yeah. I mean, for me, as I've learned so much being on the the manufacturer side and now on the broker side, if I was just like, hey, I cannot from the owner of a company, if I was just like, hey, you cannot offer a retainer, it needs to be incentive based. I would find good people. And I would just be like, hey, we're going to offer you like an absurd percentage, call it 15% on the first few hundred thousand, like a large percentage on the from zero to X amount, and then it's going to slow. So and th- so we're going to quickly ramp you to get to a healthy number, but it's all going to be incentive-based. That's where my brain goes if I if I had to go that route. Yeah, that, that makes sense for me. You know, like thinking about what you're saying. And by the way, I, I want to preface this with, I'm not trying to poo-poo on brokers or poo-poo on, on, on your model. I just, I'm trying to find a way to take something that I've learned in the past six months of starting a beverage company and have it on this podcast. So if other people are starting beverage, they can kind of listen to it and hopefully be some cliff notes for them. One thing I will say, I think it'd be a lot easier. This is from a manufacturer to a sales service or brokerage. Having that transparency of what you just said, like it takes pretty much, it takes time to set things up in food, food service. One of the brands we work with, you know, they got set up in Dot and now, you know, US Foods and all of these other, you know, distributors and food service can order from the same place or something like that. There's value in, hey, you don't have to worry about setting this up. We're going to do this as part of, you know, our retainer. And I just don't see that sort of transparency in anything I've seen so far. Totally. Yeah. For us, right. I know it's like so cliche to be like, let's have a transparent conversation. Like for us at this point in Rooted, which is feels really good. You know, we've always tried to be a genuine company, but now more than ever, like we are just trying, like we are on our own, like startup rocket ship, like right startup world. So it, it's crazy and it's messy, but things are going great. And our, there's a bunch of priorities, but one is just to get into healthy relationships. Like we're not even with the re- retainer, like 
we have no negative interest in that like four month relationship where we can collect a retainer and then it ends like and they right they probably always think we're just selling this our services and we want to work with them like as much as they're learning about us which is great we are truly trying to learn about them and we're like for us our big three are are we excited and confident to sell the product do we feel good about working with the individual who would be our point person and then the last is do they have realistic expectations? So I, I get in because I'm so confident in who we are. And it's like, if you don't want to get into food service, there's nothing I can do. And you shouldn't. If you want to get into food service, you know, it's hire someone internally. We are less and in most cases better than them. And if you want to go another broker route, we are humbly but confidently easily the best I've come across. So yeah, it's just exploring. And I just don't want to fake out like how long it takes to get in the channel or what it may look like. So we try to be as honest as possible. And if we get red flags, well, we, we won't go forward with them if they think that, you know, we're going to take over the world in three months because it just doesn't work that way. Does it take around the same time for a more established startup to get into food service in a meaningful way as it does a emerging like startup, like brand new startup is the same timeline or would you say that the emerging ones or the more established startups are a little bit more expedited that is a good question thank you i would say it's a little quicker for the established brand you know it matters right because when you're outreaching to potential customers, you know, you share the attributes about the product, you get them fired up. And then also you like to legitimize the brand, you know, so they don't think you're sharing about like a farmer's market brand. So even if it's just a retail item and they've done nothing in food service, if you get to say where they're in Whole Foods or Target or Sprouts, you know, a name recognition that would translate to the buyer and food service that carries a lot of value you know if the brand is doing almost nothing in retail it does make it tougher because they might just question the legitimacy about the brand yeah makes sense so one thing i wanted to touch on before i go into like the overall strategy of the food service channel i think food service is such an interesting channel there's times i've gone to like a Mendocino Farms, and I saw like the first time I ever come across stubborn soda was Mendocino Farms. I was like, oh, that's interesting. I thought it was maybe like a private label Mendo brand, and then um, Chipotle, you know, Nantucket Nectars. First time I ever saw that brand was in was in food service. I think it's such an interesting discovery channel. But my specific question regarding it is, when you do discover those brands, they are often at a higher price point than you would find them other places. I've never even Googled it. I probably should have Googled it. But is there a reason behind that? Like, how does it get to those prices? For instance, at Mendo, Spindrift's like $3.95. And Spindrift's one of my favorite drinks. What's your favorite Spindrift flavor? I'm also mm -hmm. Spindrift obsessed. The limeade one. So yep. the, the, that one is ridiculous. I have no idea how they made it taste so refreshing. I'll be honest. Perky's working on our lemon lime version. And it's really good, but it drinks like a, like a non-alcoholic margarita. So however they figured that out, is quite impressive. It's so yeah, delicious. I love it. I'm, I'm a raspberry lime guy. With your question, so it's not that through supply chain, it needs to be more because just like the big boys, the big retailers are paying, guessing here, call it six to 10%, seven to 12% through the retail distributors. It's the same in food service. You know, the big colleges, the QSR chains are paying about the same. So it doesn't have to use supply chain. I think the answer, which isn't very glamorous, is just like you have a captive audience and that's just the way it is. 
it's the same thing, right? If you're in a airport or a stadium, you're going to be paying so much more because your audience is extra captive versus certain channels like a, a hospital, you're going to be paying less. And also they, are, they care less about margin, a college or hospital. So that's really the reason the supply chain and the distributor markup is the exact same. If anything, food service should be less because there's no like promo. Yeah, I don't know. That, that's kind of what I got there. I never, never thought about it that way. That's very, very interesting. I guess it kind of makes sense because before I even got into marketing, before I even started at Quest, I was in the, the service industry after college. And then I did, did some research recently and there's some astronomical number on like bag in the box beverages and off the gun, like Coca-Cola, I think makes like an 89, 90% margin off their, their syrups. And I was just like, whoa, that's incredible. It probably costs two pennies to fill up that mm-hmm. cup, depending on the ice, the amount of ice in the cup. Um, and it goes really, you know, $3 or whatever it is. So I guess that does make sense after all. Let's jump into to sales strategy. How does, how does food service work with other channels is the first part. And the second part of the question, actually, let's start with that. If a startup company is becoming a little bit more established in natural grocery, when should they start thinking about food service? Is food service, is it a viable strategy for a startup brand to go straight into food service? Or do they need to establish themselves in grocery first? I think it matters what the expectations are. If you are a big investor-backed company, retail is quicker in general than food service. So there may be pressure if you have a big sum of money in the bank and there's a lot of people to answer to and you can pay the big slotting fees. And I know it's not just pay your way into retail. I know their strategy and the product, of course, matters so much. In that case, I would think retail would make more sense because it's quicker. I almost think for brands who need to make money out of the gate, that food service could actually be a more attractive channel because in food service, you are making money off the first case. You're paying nothing to the operator, which, and I know it's not always the case, but I believe more often than not is the case in retail, whether it's slotting or promo, it can be tough, tougher to make money. That food service, that's not the case. I've heard, I won't mention their name, but some of the big retail distributors horror stories about just funny money, you know, with billbacks and and really testing companies or even potentially putting them out of business. When you're doing this, uh, business with the, the bigger food service brokers, it is clean, clean business with nothing silly or funkier or in there. So that's what I would say. If you're a big investment-backed company and they just want big revenue and a story to share, retail probably makes sense. I would say, why not food service at the same time? And almost more interesting for scrappier brands who want to make money out of the gate to almost get into food service first or alongside with retail. I like that. You know, one thing, as you were answering, I've heard of brands that have launched day one and they were doing their sales into buyers, into retail, you know, right out the gate. I was part of a company called Right Rice that launched in 2019, February 2019. Yep. And they launched into Sprouts nationwide. I was like, that's incredible. I don't, I don't even know how Keith pulled that off. Have you ever seen a brand that launched day and date into food service as well as a go-to-market strategy? In the food service? Oh, like first, we're launching a brand today and we're in food service in... Yeah, yeah. So the big examples would be Impossible Foods and Beyond. Their strategy was food service first. And now they're beyond massive 
publicly traded national companies. And then they followed that with retail. And now they're in most grocery stores. Interesting. Yeah. I don't remember. Yeah. And we're, we're, we're launching with, uh, keep their name out of it for now. But yeah, we're launching with a, a brand uh, now. We're two months in. And yeah, we, we are. They are a big boy company, and they are we are launching them first in the food service. That 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 is their strategy. That's so cool. Never even thought about that until this phone call. That or this podcast, the phone call podcast, same thing. All right. So going deeper into to sales strategy, what does it take for a whether it's a startup or an established brand to be successful in food service? Does it just happen in 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 retail or grocery retail? It takes you know trade spend and it takes promos and TPRs yeah. and POS and all of that. What does it take for somebody to to win in food service? You're getting me jazzed up before I answer. <laughs> so way more right, different for everyone. Like for me, inside the box selling for me it is not interesting or it's less interesting. Food service is outside the box, grit, scrappy selling. So what I mean by that is retail, right? It's like, when do these guys have their review schedule? When are we going to, we got to get our, our data and our story together. Food service data is rarely, very rarely a part of it. Review schedules rarely exist. You can email Chipotle, obviously a very extreme example, but coffee shop, that large university and get an email, get a response from them that day, you know, or a couple of follow-ups the week after. And it, so it's really about creativity and there's so many channels to go after. Yeah, it's the wild west with grit and determination and a good product. That's how you get it done. And there needs to be some strategy in place, which I'd be happy to talk about, but it's way different of a sales process. That just opened up another question for me. What does it take for a brand to be pulled out of food service obviously like low performing but if there's no review schedule is it more like off the cuff like hey you guys aren't cutting it or you need to pick up velocities and xyz what does that look like well it depends right because within food service there's anywhere from colleges the convenience stores the stadiums so you know if it's something that may be a little more seasonal like let's say you're selling to the boston red sox which we do you know at the end of the season they will certainly uh review items heading into next season with a college that they might do a right you can outreach and get product in at any time but over the early summer late spring they might do a review but they don't have convenience is, is different convenience is kind of closer to grocery and we work a lot in the convenience channel but traditional food service they don't have that person who's like running the number and you they're like your velocity is x it needs to be y it doesn't it's way i've heard this quoted before it's way stickier business it's slower to get in but once you're in it's just stickier i don't know why it is maybe less reviews it's just not part of the process that's fantastic. So you mentioned stadiums, you mentioned colleges, there's restaurants as part of food service. What other things are part of food service that people should be thinking about? I could rattle off literally 20 because there's anywhere from like cruise lines to casinos to like banquet halls and, and, and catering. So our big four, could be tempted to go five, six, our big four, college and university is my is my favorite channel. I'd be happy to dive into that more. Our other big channels are QSR, quick serve restaurants, slash restaurant chains, which covers a lot. That's anywhere from smoothie juice shops, salad bowl type places, 
coffee shops, or traditional restaurants that could be artisan, well, because we sell mostly better for you items, more premium, artisan pizza, better for you burger, traditional cheesecake factories of the world. So there's a lot under the umbrella of QSR and restaurant chains. BNI, business and industry slash corporate, is right, it will never look the same. But it's still a very strong channel. You know, the LinkedIn, Google's, Netflix of the world, great channel. And then fourth, I would say for our big four is convenience. It's a, it's an amazing, amazing channel. And like, right, some people instantly go to like, like Joe's ridiculous gas station that just sells like Slim Jims and, and Coca-Cola. Like I'm talking about the more, which is so many of them, the up and coming chains that care. And maybe it's only a small part of the store that have a that has a better for you set, but so many chains now and convenience have a growing better for you set. So we also love convenience. So those are our big four. There's also two, three more other channels we really love in food service, but those are our big four. Yeah, I do want to zoom into the college thing. So talk about me discovering brands from different food service channels. When I was in college, I was a huge fan of Honesty. It was at UCLA. Every time I'd go to a certain part of the campus, I knew exactly where it was going to be. It was probably in the other places too, but I just had my spot. Is there a strategy in college where brands that are local do better in the colleges and universities near them, or does it even matter? Heck yeah, a hundred percent. College and universities, the attributes, if it's local, that matters so much. And then you didn't ask me this, but just to go for it, I would say the big three is we definitely mentioned local, if that is the case, mm. and then plant-based and however you want to phrase it, either gluten-free or allergen-friendly. Those are the big three. And then functional, which I believe is your product. Like There's so many, right? Low or no sugar, functional, keto. There's others, but in my experience, those are the big three. And yeah, gluten-free and plant-based are going very strong as far as what lands and what's being asked for. One other thing regarding that same your answer there. So just recently in retail, Perfy is headquartered in SoCal and it's manufactured in Washington state. So like the co-manufacturers in Washington state. I had somebody in the Pacific Northwest that was looking for local brands saying, you might be manufactured here, but you're headquartered in SoCal. You're not local. And then on the opposite side of that, I had somebody in SoCal say, you're headquartered in SoCal, but you're manufactured in Pacific Northwest. You're not local. What does local mean and why is it so um, uh, different? It's really, really funny and interesting. So it's just one of those, like, however that person in the moment wants to identify it. So what I would do, right, like right or wrong, this is just what I do, is if the company is based locally, I'll bring that. And nine out of 10 times, they won't ask about where it's manufactured. And if it's if it the manufacturing plant is then local, then I'll bring up the manufacturing. And it's just one of those things that nine, eight out of 10 times, they just kind of go with it. And then if they ask back, you know, if they ask, it'd be like, well, no, yeah, yeah. So it's great. Like it's manufactured local unit, which is great. But yes, the company headquarters is is in this area. So it's almost like steering where you want the sales conversation to go. And if they call you out, which is too extreme, but if they ask it, eh, it is what it is. All right, I'm going to throw another cog into this wheel. And what if the 3PL is the third party logistics company is somewhere different than both of those? So Perfies is in, in, in Montana. Now, if I'm local in terms of manufactured or HQ'd, 
but it's shipping from somewhere that they're not expecting. How do you go about that? Well, I just bring it up. I would bring it up as a positive. Yeah. You're saying if it was like warehouse somewhere local? Yeah. Or, or oh, yeah. not local. Or, well, I wouldn't bring it up. Yeah. If it wasn't positive to the conversation, I just wouldn't bring it up. And then if it was, right, people get excited. They do get excited about the local. So if it was, let's say, company headquarters was East Coast, manufactured West Coast, warehouse Midwest, and I was talking to a Midwest school, without a doubt, I would bring it up. Hey, University of Michigan, like awesome, uh, awesome in tune, because this is actually warehouse local to you. And like, right, and there they might ask, like, we're, where's, and I don't know. But yeah, yeah, we're out, we're companies <laughs> out west, but uh, companies out west, but it's great. It's warehouse local, which will make things easier and pretty cool as well. That's great. Super helpful. I'm, I'm, I'm actually learning a lot for myself and hopefully others that are listening are learning a lot for themselves too, but this is, this is great. So we talked a little bit about strategy. We talked about college campuses and talked about local. What else should people be thinking about that are thinking about going into the food service uh, channel? Yep. I think it is very important. So if you are a company who is okay, which is not many companies, you know, doing direct, direct deliveries, this is about to get to a point, you know, the local coffee shop wants product and you drop in product one, once a week. If that's for you, then that's for you. But my advice, if that you're in the majority and you want to have more upside and go through distribution, so you're not spinning your wheels. It is very important to go after, right? We talked about the channels, that makes sense. But then the operator end user customer, meaning Panera, Chipotle, University of Michigan, who if they say yes, they will either force distribution or at least force the conversation with the distributor. Because if you go to the single unit coffee shop, like, I love your product. Who do you buy product through? Cisco. Cisco is not, it's not going to happen. The distributor wants minimum five cases a week per skew. So for me, what I would recommend as far as a strategy is if you're going to go after that QSR, that coffee chain, that salad bowl type places, to make sure they have at least five units. So they say, yes, you're probably, it might be a pain to buy and take some time, but probably be able to get product into their distributor. Obviously, if it's 10 units, 20 units, then it's just going to happen. Same thing, college, university, larger than, which is most, larger than six, seven thousand convenience stores, it would be larger than 30, I would say, to be able to force distribution. So that's what I would say. And then also in the chicken or the egg game, if you go right to the distributor, even if they're, it's your local distributor, the majority of the time, they're not going to care how shiny, fun, trendy, delicious your product is. They are not going to want to get stuck to the product. That's not their business. It's the risk that. So you need to, quote unquote, backdoor the distributor. So that means finding the operator larger than five units or 7,000 uh, enrollment at school, get the operator interest first, and then ask, awesome, who's your distributor? Oh, you use A, B, and C? Great. Can I reach out to them and share the interest and we'll get you product? And then bringing that interest to the distributor and be like, hey, your, your awesome customer wants product. What can we do? That's very important. And you're just going to spin your wheels and nothing will happen. That is the exact thing we're doing with pod foods and certain DCs that we've unlocked with them is once we have one that says we'll take it and they force distribution, then we look at the other key accounts in that that geography and push them and they say, hey, we're very interested. Then we let pod foods know, hey, these people are interested. You already have product warehoused and then they can backdoor it. That's a very interesting way of putting it. We were doing it without even knowing it. 
The tough one for for um, for Perfy has been Kehi and UNFI. We actually have a running list of people that, that said we would order for put this in our shelves if you're distributed by UNFI or Kehi. So we're taking all of that and then we're going to go to UNFI and Kehi with a compelling case saying, you know, these folks yep. are interested. Can you bring us on? That's the game. That's great. Well, Matt, I had a tremendous time. I can't wait to share this one. A lot of helpful tips in here. Is there anything else you want to chat about before we jump? Do you want to go to, you know, where people can find you, both yourself and your business? Sure. Thank you for asking. Yeah. So it's rootedfoodsales.com. We are very active on on LinkedIn, just kind of showing the heart and soul of our company. Uh, we're a very playful, fiery, fun group, as well as, of course, a professional sales organization. So we have a podcast called Pleasantly Persistent, which is sometimes just internal, our company just geeking out on sales topics. Sometimes we have guests. We also have a new game show instead of the price. It's basically the price is right CPG version. Uh, so it's we call it the price is rooted. We have our third episode coming up soon. So yeah, LinkedIn website. I will link to all of this in the show notes. The price is rooted sounds extremely fun. I wonder how competitive that gets. <laughs> uh, but yeah, very competitive. Yeah, I'll send you an email. I, I'd love for you to join us if you'd like. It's really fun. I really have fun with it. Yeah, I'd have a blast on it for sure. Just shoot me that email. Well, Matt, it's been a complete honor having you on the show. This will go live sometime next week. And I really appreciate your time. Cool. Thank you very much.